Hello there, and welcome to the Psychology Report. You know, um, one of the problems across America is insomnia. Many people suffer from insomnia in the course of their life at different times. Research shows that about 10% of the population, 13% of the population actually, have a chronic insomnia problem, and that is every night virtually. They have difficulty falling asleep, and or staying asleep and wake up in the morning without having good sleep. Research shows that the need that we have for sleep is not the quantity of sleep. It's not the fact that we have to have six hours, seven hours, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve hours of sleep. That's not the issue. The issue is quality sleep, good sleep, so that we have a good sleep pattern and we wake up in the morning refreshed and ready for the day and having energy and stamina for what's before us on that particular day. But 13% of the population cannot say that they wake up in the morning having had quality sleep and are not ready for the day, yet they have to meet the day's demand and they have to move forward in their day's responsibilities and activities as a person who has had inadequate sleep. Not inadequate hours, but inadequate quality. And obviously that goes together, because if you don't have quality sleep, you probably don't have good hours of sleep either. But research shows that obviously if you're looking at hours, six hours is kind of what is needed. Seven hours is a little extra. Eight hours is a little extra beyond that. So between six and eight hours is kind of what is needed. Some people kind of because of habits and patterns of history and so on, require about eight hours of sleep a night. Other people, because of their habits and history and patterns, kind of work around the six-hour to seven-hour sleep pattern per night. But there's no magic number. It's an individual thing. But going nine and ten hours of sleep is generally not considered necessary or needed or even advised. So look at it kind of sense for the not quantity of hours but quality of the hours that you spend in bed trying to sleep or sleeping. So if 13% of the population have chronic insomnia, what about the rest of us? Well, about 50%, 50% of the people in America do not sleep every single night well. They have periodic times of insomnia, maybe for a week, maybe for a day or two here and there, and spread out over time but basically they are quality sleepers with a periodic interruption of their sleep patterns because of certain events and situations that take place in their life, and I'll explain that. So that's kind of the range of studies that show that. Now, I'm, I can sleep on a dime. I can sleep sitting up, standing up on the floor or whatever. Uh, I'm blessed with a good sleep pattern, and uh, I need about six hours of sleep. So... Um, I have worked that way all my life. When I was in junior high school, in high school, I had a paper route. I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning and delivered papers. When I went to college, university, graduate studies, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, did my studies until 7, and went on to the university or to the college at 8 o'clock in the morning. So my whole history of life has been getting up in the morning and then staying up until about 11 o'clock at night, and then sleeping that 
period of time in between. That's been my pattern over the years since I've been in junior high school. So naturally, my biology, my rhythm of sleep, kind of follows that pattern. If you've had a different pattern, you've obviously had a pattern in which you uh, have slept different hours or different lengths of time or patterns of time. You work at night, work at day, you know, whatever, shift work. Sleep is a very difficult pattern and will have difficulty for you uh, just because it keeps shifting because of the demands on you in the course of a day. But people who are over 55 years of age, they have more difficulty with their sleep than people who are less than 55 years of age. So as age goes on, sleep patterns become more difficult and somewhat more disruptive. And we know that women have much more insomnia than men. Population for men is about, um, oh, 10 to 20, 13%, 20% perhaps. But the population for women is uh, closer to 30%. Uh, so, almost twice uh, the amount of sleep patterns for women that are difficult than men. So, women, it's your problem, so to speak. And older people, it's your problem, you know, so to speak. And if you've had a history of poor sleep patterns, you'll probably have a future similar with some poor speech patterns. So, just kind of put that into context. Now, what about some of the things that uh, contribute to insomnia? You know, insomnia is a um, complex issue because it is associated with a number of problems. It doesn't necessarily create these problems, except over time. We know that insomnia over a long period of time contributes to Alzheimer's, contributes to an early onset of dementia and an early onset of Alzheimer's. So we know that there are negative effects upon a person who has chronic insomnia. But what are some of the factors that lead to this type of thing, insomnia? Well, we know biological factors do. We know that if you have breathing problems, if you have asthma, if you have some kind of a lung disorder, and you've had it for chronic periods of time, you're probably going to have sleep problems. If you have heart trouble, and you have different heart rates, or high blood pressure, and some of those kind of things, we know that you're going to have some sleep problems. You know, if you have gastric distress, we know that you're going to have some sleep problems. If you have an irritable bowel syndrome, we know that you're going to have a sleep problem. If you have an urinary infections and urinary conflicts, you're going to have sleep problems. We know that biological factors are associated with certain sleep patterns. Uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, we know that that has poor sleep patterns associated with it. Uh, Parkinson's, we know that that has poor sleep patterns associated with it, and so on you go. So there are a number of biological factors that contribute to a sleep problem, and sometimes you can look at it backwards. If you have sleep problems, do you have some of these other kind of medical problems or biological problems that might account for it? Well, that's worthy of a medical assessment. Number two is obviously there are psychological factors that lead to insomnia. Anxiety, hoof. If you live an anxious life, if you are under a state of anxiety or you are a chronic anxiety person, a worry ward, you're going to have major sleep problems. Now, we do know that people who uh, just go through a periodic period of time, just for a short period of time of high stress, anxiety, fear, during that time they're going to have some sleep problems. 
But then that all settles down and then they resume their sleep patterns. So anxiety, whether it's chronic or whether it's just acute, just for a short period of time, are associated with poor sleep. But just because you're an anxious person doesn't say you're always going to have sleep problems. But when that anxiety level increases, sleep problems also increase with it. Depression is known to have a sleep pattern that's irregular. For some people who are depressed, they sleep long hours. And then sleep during the day long hours. And they can't sleep at night. Or their sleep is very disruptive. And it's on and off in the course of the evening. And maybe wake up four or five, six times during the course of the evening. So is there are a lot of psychological factors that operate here. If you're under a trauma experience, and you dream that trauma, and you redream that trauma, and redream it over and over again, or periodically redream your traumas, you know, we know that you're going to have sleep problems with that. It just, it just it goes together. And uh, so trauma is a major issue for sleep. And especially if you're dreaming about that trauma event. And what you're trying to do in the dream is get rid of that trauma event. The dream is trying to remove it from your brain, from your memory system. And it's kind of trying to extricate it. And uh, you can help that process by journaling, writing out your dreams, or by being in a therapy program and telling a therapist about your dream and getting some dream assessments and analysis of it and, and some kind of pattern and explanation for the dreams that you're having, especially if it's related to trauma. So there are a lot of psychological factors that enter in you know, as well. Drugs and alcohol. We know that alcohol is associated with poor sleep patterns. We know that the use of a lot of the stimulant drugs are associated with poor sleep patterns. We know a lot of the sedative drugs are associated with poor sleep patterns. They may sleep long times of the day, long periods of time, and then short periods of time, and just erratic kinds of sleep you know, patterns. So if you're using drugs and alcohol of any kind, medications of various kinds, opiates, uh, which are painkillers, by the way, uh, those all have associated ill effects for sleeping. Disturbing environmental factors also come to play. You know, that is, if you live near a railroad, you live near a highway, you live near a stop sign, you live near a stoplight, you live, you live somewhere near truck stops, um, you live near a barking dog environments. I mean, environmental factors all operate, and you have to kind of look at ways in which you can minimize the effects of the environment. And then some of us have had negative learning experiences with sleep. We associate sleep with maybe a bad experience, a trauma experience, an abusive experience. And therefore, that's going to come out and, and create sleep problems. And it often will come out in your dreams as well, you see. So the idea about uh, negative learning experiences, some of you just have learned poor sleep patterns. You wait until late at night before you go to bed. Watch television way late into the night. Work on the computer way late at night and then try to go to bed. And your brain is just not able to unwind and your brain's not able to uh, become adapted for sleep. It's still stimulated. It's still active. So if you've learned to kind of work late at night and, and, and keep your, your brain stimulated and active, you're going to have sleep problems. You're going to have problems that are going to falling asleep. Once you fall asleep, you're going to be okay. But you're going to have trouble falling asleep because of the negative learning experiences that you've had. Just about the idea about how to prepare yourself for bed. 
And then, of course, these kind of pre-sleep and sleep habits. You know, you may not have an appropriate mattress. You may not have appropriate sheets. You may not have appropriate pillows. You know, that's going to affect your sleep patterns. Everything you do during the course of the pre-sleep hours, and we usually think of the pre-sleep hours as at least one hour and maybe two hours before you go to bed. It's what you do during that period of time. If you don't have any countdown or wind-down uh, experiences during that time, you're going to have trouble because you're going to be active and busy and then try to go to bed and try to go to fall asleep. And your, your brain is still pretty active, and it's going to take a while for that brain to just settle down and then allow you to fall asleep. So if you're going to have an active pre-sleep pattern of behavior, expect at least difficulty falling asleep, and it will take you a while. And uh, some of you have maybe the habits of you can't go to bed until you've watched a particular program or you've read a particular number of pages in a book or you know, you've, you've got these little habits and routines that you've worked out. Uh, sometimes obsessive-compulsive routines. You have to do certain things before you go to bed. I mean, all these things kind of come to play in terms of creating a pattern of sleep difficulty or insomnia. Now, there's lots of things you can do with it, obviously. Uh, for some people, they look at it kind of biologically. And what they say is, okay, I'm going to have certain medication then. If you think your sleep pattern is biological, you naturally then turn to medication. The problem is that we know this, that medication might help for a little while. But long-term medication of sleep medication, sleeping pills, is not good for you. It may mask a problem that you're having, and then therefore you won't pay attention to the real problem, to the real cause, and you may become addicted, you know, to it. And if you're not, if you're using sleep pills, you know, more than three weeks, you're you're at risk, you know, for addiction. And I know there are a number of people who've been using them for years, and then have difficulty withdrawing from that medication because it's addictive. Medi sleep medications are addictive. And if you think that's the only way that you can fall asleep, then you're going to tend to use that kind of a strategy. But there's a lot of negative side effects with that that you have to also keep in mind. That once you go down that path, you may be down that path for good forever. And uh, if you want to come out of that path, it's going to be a long-term process of coming off medication. So... It, they can help for a while. The recommendation is, if you're going to use sleep medication, use it very sparingly, maybe only two or three times a week, and maybe only for several weeks to a, to a few months. Beyond that, you're putting yourself at risk. But the other people look at it kind of not necessarily as a biological problem, but as a kind of a learned behavior problem. So they approach sleeping from the point of view of trying to reschedule their lifestyle, their behavior patterns. Go to sleep at a different hour. Make sure you don't sleep during the day. Make sure that you live a full active life, at least in the evening, but slow down and calm down and quiet down at least for one hour or one hour and a half before sleep, before bedtime. So in other words, look at your sleep, pre-sleep patterns of behavior and adjust those. Some of you look at it from a kind of environmental point of view. That is, be careful. Maybe you have to put in extra soundproofing in your bedroom. Maybe you need to have those windows, the double-pane windows that keep out a lot of that sound. You know, maybe you need to make sure that your room is cool, making sure your room is totally dark so the melatonin can be active in your brain. So total darkness, no television, 
No ambient light in the, in the room. Don't watch television before you go to bed because that's going to stimulate the brain. It's going to stimulate your, your uh, areas of your brain that otherwise should be quieted and ready for sleep. So kind of look at the kind of environment and the ways that you behave yourself just before going to sleep new itself. Sometimes you have to kind of change your mattress. Sometimes you have to change the location of your sleep. Um, you know, put it in a place, try to sleep in an area where you have safety, where you have a sense of safety, a feeling of safety, a feeling of comfort, a feeling of quietness, and a feeling of assurance and reassurance, and a feeling that you are a person that can just let go and be safe and calm and relaxed and wake up refreshed. So these are issues that are very important. So what, are, what is the story then about kind of a pre-nap or a pre-sleep nap during the day? Is it important to have a nap during the day? Is that, would that help or would that hinder your insomnia or your sleep difficulties at night? Well, the rule is this, that if you're going to take a nap during the day, early afternoon, one hour, that's called a power nap. Not two hours, not three hours, that's depression napping. But one hour, and it's usually at the same time, one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon, maybe three, but that'd be about the latest. And just take that one hour power nap, wake up, be refreshed, and then do the rest of your activities and go to bed then at 10, 11 o'clock at night. But you don't have to have a power nap. But if you do, one hour, use that as your ruling. Set your alarm clock so that you don't sleep beyond that. And I know there are many older people who just take their nap after lunch. There are many professionals that take a break during the day and take a little nap during the early afternoon so that they're refreshed and able to carry on their career activities throughout the rest of the afternoon into into the early evening. Uh, people have different standards, different different patterns. You have your patterns. I have my patterns. We all have different patterns. But a nap during the day is not necessarily bad if you keep it to that kind of one hour. What about a consultation? Yes, you ought to consult people. If you have insomnia, chronic insomnia, you need to consult and get advice and suggestions from a number of people. No one has the answer to it. The answer is, lies within you, basically. But you can consult people for ideas. You don't have to go to some doctor for 85 visits just to find out how to sleep. But you might consult somebody and just get their advice in terms of what they would suggest, knowing your story. If you could tell your story about your life and your patterns of living and your history and how that has affected your sleep, maybe a, a professional can just give you a couple of pieces of advice and you can take that and try that, you say. So sure, consult a chiropractor. Sure, consult a psychologist. Sure, consult your physician. You know, sure, consult your minister, if you will. You know, consult a number of people who maybe have some ideas and have some suggestions. So there are people to consult. But there are also things you can try to help your sleep patterns. Biofeedback therapy. Learn how to relax your muscles. Do a deep muscle relaxation, deep breathing. Do a kind of a pre-hypnotic exercise before going to sleep, such as counting backwards from 25 to 0, but very slowly, and then repeat that. Or you having some kind of a visualization of a quiet place or a serene place or a place that you have gone where you're very, very relaxed and very calm and very refreshed, but safe. Kind of imagine yourself being there. Imagine yourself being with people who are 
kindly and soft in your life and very supportive and reassuring. Kind of imagine that. Acupuncture sometimes. Chiropractic may help at times. Maybe even going to a sleep clinic may be of help to you to see if you have some kind of air passageway obstruction or you may have some oxygen kind of issues related to uh, sleep. So you can consult a number of people, but no one person has the answer. Don't be discouraged if by consulting somebody you don't get an answer and it doesn't help. Learn from that person. Apply what that person has said to you. Go to another person. Learn from that person and apply that. Learn from somebody else. But then you put that all together. The answer is within you. The answer is not within a professional. Don't get your idea that some professor is going to come along and has an answer to your sleep problem. I mean, that puts you into a dependent role of depending on some kind of professional. No, do it yourself. So the rule is this. You go to bed. If you aren't sleeping within 30 minutes, get up. Go do something. Go do an activity, a light activity, a boring activity. But don't watch television. Don't work on the computer. But just kind of read or do something that's light for about 20 to 30 minutes. Go back to bed. Sleep. But if you're not sleeping in 30 minutes, get up again for 30 minutes and engage in another light activity or continue that reading that you've been doing. Go to bed after about 30 minutes. And if you're still not sleeping in 30 minutes, get up again. And do that for the course of the night. And some people have to do that for about 10 nights in a row. But then they start sleeping. Some people have to do that one or two or three nights in a row. And then they start sleeping patterns. So the bed is for sleeping, not for restlessness. The bed is for sleeping, not for eating. The bed is for sleeping, not for watching television. You see? Make sure the bed has an identity of sleep, not an identity of restlessness or a lot of extraneous kind of activities. Um, let it be a safe place, a comfortable place, you know, for you. So there's a few ideas. Hope they can be helpful to you as you have your sleep difficulties. This is only part one. What we're going to do is now we're going to take a break. I'm going to come back and we're going to do part two of some very specific ways in which you can learn how to sleep and learn how to sleep better. And it's maybe the answer is in the sleep pillow that you use. Maybe the answer is in the mattress you use or the environment around you or the time and what you do beforehand. Maybe that is the answer to it all. But there may be other things that can be helpful to you. And we're going to do that under part two. We'll give you about 10, 15 different areas and different events and activities and ways that you can go about improving your own sleep patterns. So nice to have you with me today, and I'm glad that this has been helpful to you. Um, remember my website, booksbyhedberg.com, and I do have a book in there on health, achieving and maintaining a healthy lifestyle in a world of stress. And in there where I talk about some of the sleep problems and ways that you can go about improving your sleep. You can improve your health and improve your sleep. So it's a great book. Pick it up. Go to my website. That's where the book can be found. You can get it on Barnes & Noble or Amazon as well. So uh, make sure that you use that kind of resource that's available to you. Achieving and Maintaining a Healthy Lifestyle in a World of Stress is the name of it. Booksbyhedberg.com. Bye for now.